All right. Well, right now we're in this conversation called win. Uh, We are looking at what it means to win because Jesus didn't give his life for us to settle for ours. And so he came for us to win the battle against all this broken world will throw at us. And does it ever, and it will continue to do so. And many times we don't think that God is about winning. We don't think his son Jesus is about winning when we look at some of the things that he says. But I want you to know that he is. It's the reason he came to give his life. And so it's time for us to fight for what he came to make possible. And it's time to start winning those battles. And so much of that is understanding who Jesus is and the foundation and the principles of what he's brought to us. And so to understand that in a deep way to help us take those steps in our own lives. And so we've been looking at what that means. And uh, today we're going to continue that conversation. And I'm excited about this to do it with you. I'm going to read to you this uh, scripture we're using as a foundation. Uh, The Apostle Paul to this early church that started out that Jesus sent out when he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. He's writing to one of these early churches and he wrote this whole letter. And he ends with this. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." He calls them into this fight and he calls them to stand firm. I love the psalm we just sang. It just says, keep the faith. Don't give up the fight. I love it. There is something that goes on inside of us, right? So many of you know that you were in the fight with anxiety or depression or addiction or just these habits that that hold on to you. And, And so Paul says, stand firm. And in this series, we're going to be doing this uh, throughout July. I want you to identify something that you long in your heart or in your life to be defeated. That brings you down or that brings regret or, you know, you were like, wonder why, why do I keep doing this? Why do I, you know, you fill in the blank of, I can't believe I, whatever that may be. And begin to learn to engage Christ with the principles that we'll be learning for the next several weeks. Paul says, stand firm. And it doesn't just call us to stand firm, to be courageous, to say, hey, just do this. No, it begins to walk us through how we engage the battle. If you're with us in week one, I talked about how stand firm is a winning position because of what Christ has done. We hold the hill That he's one. And so he begins to call us and walk us towards what that means to engage this battle and how to stand firm. And he walks us through what we call the armor of God. So we continue now in Ephesians. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, be, you will still be standing firm. I love the, the strength of what he says. And he's writing to a people that were enduring a lot of hardship, like physical persecution. And many of these people reading this eventually would have given up their lives. 
And they were winning. It's incredible. And that's not really the call for us right now and today. No, but, but there are battles of our heart. That God is there for us to engage in. And so he says, then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. He says, stand your ground. And here's what you do. Putting on the belt of truth and the body, of God, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be, able to full, that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What's fascinating is this, this analogy, this phrase of putting on God's armor, these, these tools that he's given us isn't anything new. The armor of Christ. We, we've, we see this all throughout scriptures that God has called us to. He's used this. Going back to Isaiah 59, 17. He says he put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of the salvation on his head. Isaiah eleven five says he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. God has given us his armor. He wants you to know that who he is and his characteristics are the things that we stand upon and we live our lives with. And so last week, as we started this, I talked about the loner and a few, sorry, last week, I guess it was two weeks ago, the last time we were here. And if you were with us, I, you know, you're, maybe you remember I showed how we like, we want to be like everything we see in the movies, this fierce, lone soldier that just takes everything on. We're Wonder Woman or, you know, whatever else that, you know, we see like it's just the single person that can do it all. And that's always what we hear. But God did not call us to be that way. He didn't call us to be a loner. And what really happens is when we do things on our own, uh, we're the lion. And I show this video like in nature and there's a wildebeest and this little wildebeest gets away from the pack. It's the loner that the lions attack. The, the lions know not to attack the group. God's called us to be family. And that's what we started out with last week. You cannot do this on your own. And so today, I want to move into the actual armor of God. And that's what we're going to walk through for the next couple of weeks. And it's very important. And today, we're going to be talking about the belt of truth. Truth. And this is one of the most needed conversations, and it's, it's a foundation for us. But it's also one that's, that should and will challenge you. And it actually stands against our culture. A lot of Jesus' words will, will stand against the, the, the things that our culture brings in every culture in every age. And this is one of these things, the belt of Truth, And this is what holds it all together. Holds everything together that we're about to walk through. And make no mistake, it's the belt. It's a great analogy. You know, belts are important. Uh, especially if you need one. Some of you would probably say a belt is important for fashionable reasons. And you can define what that belt is. You know, like for... The aesthetics and the needed accessories. And you would maybe say the phrase, ah, oh, that's the one thing. It just holds it all together. Right? It just puts, it makes everything fit. But speaking of fit, 
Belts also are needed. Maybe you've had a, a pair of pants that got stretched out or just, you know, over time or you changed physically and maybe you, you've lost weight and you didn't realize that. And as you went, uh, you know, along your day wearing this pair of pants, you suddenly realize, I really need a belt. And it's, and it's like all you think about because if you don't have that holding things up, it will expose your butt. I'm too, I'm too much of a chicken to say that, yes. Yeah, yeah, so that's not what we want. You, like, you leave, you get exposed a little bit. And so it's very similar when we live our lives without truth. When you don't value truth, you start to show your fill in the blank. You're welcome. We have a strange relationship with truth. We, we talk like we celebrate it. And we do celebrate it when it helps us. We live in a world that really is concerned about justice. And so that means truth, bringing truth into our lives. But we, so we, we want to celebrate it when it Helps us. That's why you and I, we have a strange relationship with the truth. But when it, when it doesn't help us, we don't say, I don't like the truth. That's actually not usually the phrase that we say. We don't say, I don't like the truth. What we say is, that's not true. That's not, that's not true. When it doesn't help us, when it goes against what we want to have happen... Or we'll say, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure I believe that. We start to adjust the truth without ever thinking about or actually acknowledging the implications of what that means. It's something that we don't talk about. We just kind of change things and, and follow a, a path or a route. And many times we don't even realize what's happening. And we wonder when we go down a road or a path why things are confusing or why it's still not really working out so well. We don't really think about or acknowledge the implications of what that means. And so it's really interesting when Jesus comes to us. When he was speaking, when he comes to us, and we see this in the scriptures and his words, he says these things. Let me, let me just walk through three points, three, three places here. One's found in John 14. Jesus told him, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father. No one can be made right with God except through me. Jesus made very Strong claims on himself as the truth, as the way. This is the only way for us to be made right with the Father. Isn't that interesting? John, and as he introduced his gospel, his his account, his written account of Jesus' life, and John was one of the closest followers of Jesus. And it's a fascinating read to read through John if you're someone who's pursuing faith and, 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 and thinking about who God is. And in his introduction, he talks about Christ and he describes him as the word. 
And he says this, this is found in John 1.14. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John was claiming that, that Christ is the full embodiment of truth. Both truth and grace, and both are needed, and Christ is the only one who can fulfill them perfectly. He's full of truth, and this is everything that we need and long for and have to have from God. It's so, it's so pivotal. Pivotal. Another place Jesus is speaking, Jesus said this. He said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we love that phrase. Like that's when we celebrate the truth. But when the truth is hard, we do, that's harder to believe. The truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching, it's one of the reasons why we love the words of Jesus. <clears throat> so it sounds great. Like, yeah. Until we don't like what it says. <laughs> and that's what I want to engage you today with. Because that's going to happen in every one of your hearts. It will happen in your pursuit of following God. There will eventually be a line where we, we, we say, I believe you, I trust you, and I'm ready to follow you. Or we walk away because of the truth of what he says. But it's the most loving thing that he could do. But even as Christ followers, sometimes there's going to be a truth that God brings into our lives and that speaks to us. And it's not always easy to hear. And so we push away. If you're with us a couple weeks ago, we had a guest speaker, Matthew Hoskinson, who came. And he talked about that process. It's on our website. It's a great listen if you go back and listen to that. When we want to push away. But learning to engage that. And so we're learning to love this truth that Christ brings to us in our lives. And so when we don't like what it says, there's a struggle. And we push back, what happens is we develop, we begin to develop our own truth, what we want to be true, without ever thinking through the implications. And there are huge implications about that in our lives. So let me bring you three, three big implications that we begin to make when we establish our own truth. So when you begin to pursue this route, here's the number one thing, first thing I should say, is in that moment, you make yourself God. How about that? Now, none of you are like walking around saying, I'm God. Like, you're not, you know, you're not saying that. I, if, and if that did happen, I'd be really concerned. In fact, I used to work for a church in Manhattan and got an email from someone saying that very same thing. It was a really interesting journey. Showed up at our offices one day. Um, so we would never like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but, but that's what happens. I, I was not planning to say that at all. <laughs> so, you know, we would never like overtly like make that statement. But that's what's happening. And this is a, a reason, if you're someone who struggles with, with faith 
Or is, is God real? One of the things to think about is, is that we need a God in our lives. So if there is no God, we should be fine without it. But we cannot, have, we cannot live our lives without an, a God or idol or something in place of that. You have to have something or someone to make you have meaning, to give you meaning in your life. And so, to reject God and His truth is to say, okay, I'm establishing my own. You now determine what's true and what's not. And that's what we are kind of, what we push for in our culture today. We're, we're in this constant debate and conversation about what is true and what is not. And so we don't want anybody to tell us what our truth is, but that we've, somebody's got to define that. And so we say, well, just make your own. And so you can do that. You can define your own box. Of what, and what's fascinating is, even in your own lives, you can't keep that standard up either. If you don't believe me, just be a parent and tell your kids some things to do and not do, and then watch yourself. <laughs> it, it's fascinating. You begin to fashion God in your image. And this is what we see. It's about wisdom and knowledge, power. We live in a world that's consumed with how much knowledge that I have or how much power that I have. And if I've got a lot of power, then I'm going to wield it over you. And it becomes who's the strongest, quote unquote, little God in our world that can lead us. Whose side is right or whose side is stronger. You're making yourself of God. And so the second thing is this is that you become the judge. You become the judge of what is right and wrong. When we when we begin to build truth, we no longer stand in judgment of God. If when we when we are pursuing truth in its right way, we no longer judge God, but we allow God to stand in judgment of us. Now that is like, that's what we don't want. That's the very thing that we don't want to see is the condemnation. But that's why we celebrate Christ. It's because he came into the world not to condemn us, but to take that condemnation instead for us. But when we put ourselves in place of that, we begin to judge God and we get it backwards. We were made in the image of God. He was not made out of us. We are made out of him. This is what we believe as Christ's followers. So in the beginning in Genesis it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When we begin to stand in our own truth, we begin to build God after our own image. What we want. So we are saying, well, this is what I think, you know, what we should want. This is what we should want. And this is what we should think. And this is how God would want it. And this is how God thinks about it. And this is how God should work. And, you, and this is not like you're doing this necessarily on purpose. But that's kind of the, the train of thought. That we think, okay, God is loving and he, he loves me and I follow him. I believe in who he is. 
And then as you encounter the things of your life, you begin to interpret whatever that is within your own circumstances. And we say, well, I think this is what, what happened. And we just kind of assume some things. But the problem is we become the judge and we ask him to answer to us, which would be great in some circumstances, right? That's what we want. But that's not what's happening. God is the one who created this world. He created us. He knows what is best for us. He wants the best for us. He is full love. He is full of life. He is those things. And he knows what is correct. That will bring us life. That will allow us to experience love. He's the one who ultimately knows that. And so then it comes to this thing of what will you say to God if he has something to say that you don't like? What do you do? That's not easy. It can feel condemning and, and we don't like that in our world and we're told that <clears throat> we shouldn't experience that. But God would come to us and say, that's actually not loving. What will you say to God if there's something that he doesn't like? And if we struggle with that, it means we're not looking for God and answering to him. We're expecting him to answer to us. We don't submit to him. He submits to us. It's the genie God. Right? You're, God, I need this, need this. And grab the lamp and hope for it to happen. But we do it in a much deeper level. And we don't think about it this way. But this is exactly what we are doing. Sometimes God isn't going to be who you should think he should be. And that's not easy. What will you do when that's true? I, I know this is, can be unnerving, but it's really important that as we pursue Christ, and this is why when we follow him, it's so important as you begin your journey to ask your questions of God. And when it becomes to following Christ, that's what he did. He began to speak. And those who followed him heard his words. And then they took steps of faith. He, he brought them on a journey. And we've had people engage with us who've come in and say, having faith is something that was foolish to me. And it took years to, to ask questions and pursue him. And the question, really, the first one is, is Jesus the son of God? Is he real? Did he, did he die and rise again? Because if that's not true, then nothing else matters. But if it is, everything matters. And we should pursue him. And that's what we want you to do, that this is a safe place for you to come and ask your questions of God. But at some point, we have this place where we say, I believe in you. And when he says something or he presents something that stands against what we think, what will we do? And sometimes God isn't how you wanted him to be and that's not easy, but we should consider that. There's a lot of people that eventually God became something they didn't want him to be and they walked away. They were pursuing him just for their own selfish reason. It'll eventually crumble. You don't get what you wish for him because he's not in your image. And so as Christ followers, we say, I am not the ultimate. You are. 
And what we've acknowledged is that he's the greatest thing that we could pursue, not us. That he is our identity, not any other identity that stands around us. That's important. So what will you do if the truth doesn't align with what you should be? And so we become God's judge. We have to be careful of that. And so the first thing is that you make yourself God. The second thing is you become the judge. And the third thing is, is we undermine truth's power in our lives. Now this is, this is really where the rubber meets the road. And this is why it's so important to hear this and walk through this journey and know this today. That this is where we long to engage and experience God. This is why Jesus came. That's why he had to come to break the power of sin and death so that we, we were not bound by death either. And so that we could live and that our hearts could be set free. He came to set us free. And so when we make ourselves God, when we walk away from his truth, we are undermining, undermining the truth's power in our lives. When you become the judge, truth loses all power. And we lose out on the ultimate experience of who Christ is. And following Christ and pursuing him, you'll be able to experience powerful life affirming truth. There are a lot of great things that Jesus says, but you'll never experience life changing truth. You'll never experience him coming into your heart. And helping you walk away from things that are destructive. Helping you walk away from things that, that, lead, that lead you towards death. We're learning to allow him to lead us. And that will never happen until he is the ultimate authority of truth in our lives. It's a key foundation. When you become the judge, you give your experience, your knowledge, and your wisdom, and your feelings authority. Now, feelings, it's interesting. Your feelings are important. (laughs) Your emotions. God has made you as a complex person full of incredible emotion. But we also must recognize that we are broken and we are fallen. And we have stepped into what we call sin. And we've walked away from God. And there are things that don't always lead us correctly. And so your heart, your feelings betray you. They betray me. When we, when we lead our children, we talk to them about this. And my wife and I, we've learned to say this to ourselves and to each other, that, that your feelings easily betray you because of something we want. Or I'm just tired. I've had a long week and I'm just super emotional about things. Or I've had a lot of tough events happen in my life. Whatever that's going on in that certain time in my life, what you feel in the moment will betray you. Or something triggers an emotion from your past, a hurt, and when our feelings lead the way, it can lead you to believe lies about yourself. You believe a lie in some, in some way or another. Your idol, your God that you made to be the, 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 the point of your life. Whatever it takes to have that God, you will believe the lie there. 
or some experience in your past and you'll say, I'm not good enough or I'll never get out of this. And we have these phrase, I will never, and we believe lies because our feelings take authority. And they will have the ability to override truth. And so when they, your feelings, encounter a truth that calls them to change or confront, they, they simply veto it. Say, it's not true. And this is key. Because in our culture, we say phrases that are, that are actually true. Love is love. And that comes from Christ. Any ability that we have to, to say that we should love one another comes from our Judeo-Christian roots. If you trace it back, that's where it comes from, that we should love one another. That's true. But I think what we really mean is love is love as, as long as it affirms. Only if it affirms. The problem is, not everybody feels affirmed when there's no set truth. And this isn't how God solely operates. And it's not who Jesus was. I think there's just a natural thought that we have to say, well, Jesus, you know, his teachings, he was just all love. He is. <laughs> but how we define love and what love really is, is important. See, people struggle with Jesus' words at times. He was not afraid to say things that were hard to them because it was the most loving thing that he could do to point them to himself because he is the Son of God. He is life and he's leading them towards that. And so if they are walking away from life and walking away from that, the, the most loving thing to do is to say that and to say what matters. And he would say words that people struggled with and they would unfollow him. They would walk away. They stopped the pursuit. When you read the scriptures, Jesus had tough things to say to us. And here was God in front of them. God incarnate and leading them and talking to them. He was performing miracles, proving that he was, he was God. That he had authority over the world. But it was his words many times that pushed them away. It was their hearts responding because they wanted to be God. He didn't fit the way they thought God would be for their lives. At the very point of hearing life-changing, freeing, full-loving words, they pushed back. And you and I will do the same thing. And that is why Christ's forgiveness in your life many times has no power. It's why your ability to, to accept words from others, to be led by others in a, in a community of people, has no power. That's why we like to be loners. 
instead of being part of the family. The truth doesn't have authority over your experience, over your feelings, over your pride, your experience, your heart, your emotions will tell you something different. And the truth doesn't have the authority to win anymore. We don't trust God. And sometimes it's hard because what if God says something that my neighbor doesn't like, my friend doesn't like, or what I don't like? That is hard. And we have to learn to look at God and trust his love for us. And we wrestle with the truth. But we don't say, oh, that's not true. We wrestle with it. We lean in because we know it's true. And we trust his love for us. His death on the cross, how he submitted to us so that we could be free, shows his love. And we're learning to trust that love. I know that you want to know the love and forgiveness and value of God. But for many of you, God's truth doesn't have authority. You haven't submitted to that. And that's what it means to follow Christ. As we acknowledge that he is God, and this is why it's hard. Because we acknowledge that he is God, but we're then saying, I submit to you. You are the ultimate, and I'm inviting you to be the God of my life. You are my boss. You're my identity. And that's why when we follow Christ, the first step of obedience that we take is to be baptized. Because it's something that he's asked us to do. And it's the first step that we take. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing because it shows what's happened on the inside. That God has washed us clean. We've raised and be, to be anew like him. And he's come. You know, he, he's made us new. But like we're not just people with mistakes. We, we need to be, have a second rebirth that only Christ can bring. So you haven't submitted to this truth. You've kept the veto power and you've undermined its power in your life. You're always holding that out and it can't set you free. You can't really forgive. You can't be forgiven. You can't take the step to change because he's not actually living as the ultimate power in your life. That's why Jesus came to us and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. And we like to see live in a world that say, well, there's just multiple ways to God. But that's not what Jesus said because there has to be a truth that changes your life. There has to be some place that's correct. And that's who God is. And it makes sense. There has to be someone that is right, fully loving. And so it's not arrogant, it's just correct. And it's the most loving thing that anyone could ever say to you. And so when it says, when John says, the word became flesh and he was among us, he, we have seen his glory, the one and only. He's like, I want you to know this. And that he came from the Father and is full of grace and truth. He's saying he is God, you can trust him. And he's full of glory and, and you just, you know, pursue this. Because we've seen it. And then Jesus says to you and I, he says, if you hold to my teaching, John 8, 31 and 32, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth 
And the truth will set you free. And I think there are times when you wrestle with this, you've got to, you've got to say that because we love to say that phrase. Oops, sorry. We, people might like have the, a quote like up, up on their, their wall or their phone or something like that to say, yeah, the truth will set me free. And it's great until, you know, we don't like it anymore. You give your feelings the power to, to question the authority. Did you know that every major life change system, if you're like Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, every major one that has incredible success, every major life, it calls people to a higher power. Isn't that interesting? People push back against AA. They'll say like, when they can't, I don't like this. Like, you can't just come in here and acknowledge like God. And they're like, no, like we cannot compromise on that because it is the only way for people to experience life change. We have to take ourselves out of the judge seat and submit to him. This is the last point and then we're done today. To experience life-changing truth, we choose to submit. This is the foundation and the attitude that we have as Christ followers. But it is the place of being set free. We don't think, we, we we're like, how in the world can submission be a part of winning? How in the world can submission, like we, but this is what we're called to. This is what Jesus did for us. Everything that he's asked us to do, he did. He, he was God in heaven and came down and he put himself in the position of a slave and submitted to us and, and died for you and me. He showed us that that's the way of love, to serve and to sacrifice and submit to one another. We see this all throughout scriptures, like Ephesians 5.21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. It it is who we are. And it's what our world needs. We need people that will love people in this way. And so we submit to Christ. I really think that some of you know that this is the starting point with Christ and you resist. You just want the things to be true of yourself that you long for, but you just kind of know that I know God really wants to be that full truth, but we're scared of it or we just resist it. Or maybe you're angry with God because of this. But how is it going? I want you to invite you to trust his love. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and full of burdens. For I am gentle and lowly and will give you rest. He knows your heart. That's why he came. He's not afraid to lean in to the things that you hide. That's the very place he longs to live in his grace. Not to condemn you, but to set you free. His death and resurrection shows us we can trust him. Trust his love. 
When we submit and surrender to his truth, we begin to win. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. It is a life that is full. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And I, I can tell you, I've, it's been not easy for me to, to lean into some of these things, but it has also been the joy of my life to see God change me. And I love it. So, this is what you're invited into today. You build your life on truth. Is Jesus your God? That's the starting point with him. Maybe for some of you ready to take that step. We'd love to engage that. You can check in your connection card what it means to follow Christ. Come talk to me after the service today. Maybe some of you are ready to say, I'm ready to be a follower of Christ and be baptized. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Whatever your next step is, I want to encourage you to take that and trust Him. Truth is what holds it all together. You want to put on the belt of truth and it will set you free. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for your words to us. I pray that we would experience your incredible beauty that your truth leads us to and that we would trust that today. We thank you and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.